Hello, everyone. This is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, bringing you a very special In Conversation. In Conversations are a series of programs which bring forward archived interviews, very special shows that my husband Bruce McGregor and I recorded together several years ago, and are gems we just could not let go of. In this particular In Conversation, I wanted to bring you the discussion we had with the late Robert Novak. He was a television personality, an author, and a conservative political commentator. I have to admit, believe it or not, when I was a teenager and when I was in college, my favorite programs on television were political debate shows that were on public television and on cable news. And one of the most intimidating figures on those programs was Robert Novak. He was a formidable force to behold. Surprisingly, in the summer of 2007, I received a large package with a book inside entitled The Prince of Darkness, 50 Years of Reporting in Washington. And it was written by Robert Novak. I started to read the book and I thought, oh my gosh, what was so compelling for me in the book was his conversion to the Roman Catholic faith and his great devotion to St. Thomas More. I was so surprised when we were able to arrange an interview with him. I was so nervous before we began, but it only took a few moments into our conversation to make me feel completely at ease with a man who was sharing a very special period in his life. Frequently I'm asked, Chris, of all the interviews that you've done, what's your favorite? I don't know if I could ever say there's just one favorite, but this conversation with the late Robert Novak is right there on top of the list. I hope you enjoy it. God bless. Chris, today we're delighted to be joined by, well, I'll say a distinguished guest, Robert Novak. Robert writes Inside Report, one of the longest-running syndicated columns in the nation, and the Evans-Novak Political Report, which he began in the 60s with the late Roland Evans. Now a Fox News contributor, he's spent 25 years as a political commentator for CNN. He is also the author or co-author of five other books, one of the most recent ones being Completing the Revolution. Lives in Washington, D.C., and we're going to be talking to Robert this morning about his new book, The Prince of Darkness, 50 Years Reporting in Washington. Robert, honored to have you with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Many of our listeners, uh, Mr. Novak, may not recall a time when you actually began AP service right here in (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska. You're going to bring that up, yes. That was my first job out of the Army. I was a young Army officer, uh, called up as a reserve in the the Korean conflict and uh, during the Korean conflict and was released from the Army in 1954. My first job was uh, as a vacation replacement for the AP in Omaha, Nebraska, mainly writing news for the radio stations. You got to cover some interesting times here in Nebraska, especially as a brand-new reporter. You talk about in your book someone from Norfolk, which is an area that it, we have many listeners up there, a man by the name of William Purdy. That's right. I was... Uh, I covered the. Uh, I was lucky enough to be assigned to cover the legislature and the unicameral in Lincoln in 19, uh, the 1955 session. William Purdy was somebody that nobody ever interviewed. He was a retired farmer from Norfolk. He had pledged that he would give no speeches in the legislature. He would introduce no bills. He would add. He would vote against any bill that increased uh, the size of government. And of course, he would not increase taxes. And uh, 
I wrote this interview with him, kind of making fun of him. Mm-hmm. But I said in the book, he's become a hero of mine. I think that's the that's the way to go. And he he lived up to every one of those promises. And also, he promised he would not seek re-election to a second two-year term. I personally would like to find more William Purdy's. If you're out there, <laughs> me too. Uh, please come forward. We need you today. And Mr. Novak, I just have to say that this was such a dynamic book. When I first saw it, I thought, wow, it's a it's a major tome. But as I got into it, I found it was almost too short. That what you've shared with us in this life that you've lived is an extraordinary life of, I think, courageous stances and in a tremendous amount of integrity. Well, thank you, Ms. McGregor. That's, that's very flattering, and I appreciate it. Uh, I've had a lot of fun, and I think I've grown as a human being, uh, both in my concept of government and my spiritual quality. And and I try to to, uh, just give a taste of what it's been like to uh, be blessed with uh, the kind of career I've had and the kind of life I've had. I think we can leave it to other interviews I'm sure that many will see when discussing issues like the Valerie Plame affair, because what I found fascinating about the book is... In your experience, you've had the ability to be able to see how our country and government changed in a very dramatic way, and then the beginnings of yet another change. Yes, realignment is one of the themes mm-hmm. of the book. I talk a lot about my life, but I, I try to connect it with the political development, the realignment from uh, uh, of the South, particularly from which was all Democratic when I came to Washington to a Republican stronghold, and the... Uh, in New England, which was heavily Republican when I came to Washington, into a Democratic bastion. And the political parties now stand for something uh, and a difference. And, and we've reached a point now, uh, maybe there's an, a, a new phase we have entered with the Democratic victory in 2006. I took a strong position against the invasion of Iraq. I thought that was a, a mistake. And I, I don't believe the United States can really dictate or be the nation builder for the world as a as President Bush uh, said during his debate with uh, Al Gore in, in the year 2000. So I think we're entering another stage uh, now. But what I've tried to do in the book is to relate those changes and also the changes in my life and uh, particularly uh, my spiritual life. I couldn't help but as knowing of your conversion into a, the greater fuller communion of the church by coming into the Roman Catholic Church in 1998 and the selection of your patron saint, oh, yeah. Thomas More. As I read the book, I kept seeing Thomas More through this. I mean, is that would that be a stretch? Well, it probably is, because uh, that's my ideal. That's what I aim for, but uh, I've never had the power he had as Chancellor of England or ne- never had the decisions he had where he, he sacrificed his life for his principles, but uh, it's an ideal which I adhere to. You know, I have, I write in three different places. I have an office on Pennsylvania Avenue, and then I have a condo where my wife and I live, about 10 blocks up Pennsylvania Avenue, and then we have a home on the ocean in Delaware. So I have three desks that I write at, and I have a picture of Thomas More on each on each desk. And uh, sometimes I try to think what he would think about some of the things I was saying and writing, whether he would approve, and what he would do if he were in my condition. I think history has judged Thomas More, and I think it favorably, and especially his courageous stance when many felt that he was wrong. And when I look over at your career, particularly your stance on the war and even in the discussions on immigration, as someone who has always been tagged as a conservative, and you proudly adhere to many of the conservative ideals, 
there are those who would say, because of your stances on those issues, well, you're no longer conservative. That's right. That's why some people have said that. The National Review, a magazine I've had close connection with, I've written for them many times, did cover stories for them, a great friend of Bill Buckley's, the founder, and uh, they had uh, written me out of the conservative movement. Well, I, I think that uh, Thomas More, of course, uh, in addition to other things, he tried to have a, a world community of Christians, who were all Catholics in those mm-hmm. days, who were uh, committed to peace, world peace. And uh, even though he was certainly not a taller child, he was Chancellor of England. Mm-hmm. But uh, beneath, the, beneath his, uh, he wore the chains of power, but beneath his uh, expensive clothes, he wore, every day, he wore a hair shirt uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, to, to uh, as, a, as a sort of a, uh, stigma as, uh, for, for, being, for being a sinner. Well, and I think that's what I really grew to appreciate, that maybe it's uh, being a female, but I couldn't help but feel a little bit of anguish at the fact that so many people who were friends, because you chose to take a different stance, wrote you off, and harshly so. Yes, that, that's true, but and I, I think it would have been very difficult for me if, if that had all happened before uh, my conversion. I converted very late in life, in my 60s, and I'm 76 now. But I, but it, uh, it, it, it has, it's a different way of looking at, at that as a, as a transitory thing. And, uh, and I, uh, and, and not to be angry at people for doing it, but uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to feel that there are more important things. Mm-hmm. The views that you held even over the last 50 years, I, I keep going back to someone who I've read a lot of, a, another great Catholic writer, G.K. Chesterton, his belief that big government is bad, and even the excesses of big business when it hurts the entrepreneur, someone who is trying to make it. Um, in so many ways, Chesterton could be viewed as adhering to conservative values. I believe that's, uh, I believe that's the case. Uh, a lot of people ask me, why would you name, name your book The Prince of Darkness? Uh, mm-hmm. My pastor at St. Patrick's Church in, uh, in Washington said they were going to have to have an exorcism for me. But it's ironic uh, because I've called The Prince of Darkness for a couple of reasons. One reason is that uh, I am for limited government, uh, small government, low taxes, limited presidential power, and that makes you uh, uh, an outcast in both political parties. But it's also, uh, uh, I, I, I did not, I've never felt that my, my role in life was to uh, uh, be the uh, uh, cheerleader for uh, presidents and politicians. And so uh, I'm very critical of politicians in this book, and I, I tell the truth about them. I'm, I'm critical of myself, too. I've made mm-hmm. mistakes, uh, certainly, and done things that, uh, written things I wish I hadn't written, and gone, done things uh, and failed to do things I wish I had done. But uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the the kind of, uh, uh, of 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 life I've tried I've tried to lead, I think it would have been very much more difficult. I haven't been a Catholic. I think the parallel to so much into St. Thomas More, no, you, you haven't been chancellor or a government official, but you have been on the forefront of an explosion of media. You have been there since uh, really that the time of John Kennedy all the way through uh, Lyndon Johnson, through the rise of syndicated columns to the advent of cable and the explosion of cable at 24-hour service of just information given. Yes, and it, it's, it's been a, it's been enormous uh, 
it's been a fast trip. You know, I uh, I wrote, um, uh, this is the, the sixth book I've written, and the mm-hmm. other books I all wrote uh, to contract length right on the nose. I'm an old Associated Press reporter, and I know how to do this, but I, I did this book differently. I just thought I would, uh, it's the only memoir I'll ever write, and I decided I would write everything I could I could think of or, or find out, and uh, I ended up with 1,400 would have been the equivalent of 1,400 pages. Mm. Wow. Ridiculous. So it took me three years to write the book and a year to, to cut it with a lot of help. And uh, it's a it's a big book now, over 600 pages, but about 800 pages were cut. But uh, it uh, it it uh, it is a it it is a great experience. Uh, uh, I think everybody should do it, whether you had a. a, a as fortunate as I to have a lot of interesting things happen, or just happen in ordinary life to just uh, account uh, your trials, your failures, your successes in life. What I've uh, really appreciate about you, Mr. Novak, is that you don't succumb to sound bites. And when I say that as an example, I think what's happened for so many in the Catholic experience in the rise of the media. We were pro-life. We were against abortion, but we had no one in the media speaking up. And then there were some commentators that were had, like on talk radio, that gave voice to a lot of the frustration we had. And as it, it influenced our political decisions, but then now we've come to a certain point where some of those commentators don't necessarily reflect the views of the Catholic Church. Yes. And we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to stay on that train that they're leading us on or to allow the Church to be the moderator of the debate. It's a, that's a difficult question. I, I really do believe it. I, I, uh, uh, I think that, that the... the uh, uh, talking about my conversion, I, uh, uh, I really do... People say, well, what... what what in the world made you convert? And I, I say in the book, but I tell them, and that is, I think it was, uh, it was the Holy Spirit. That, uh, mm-hmm. Because it, uh, if you can imagine, uh, my, my wife, uh, uh, who was a, uh, also a Catholic convert, she became a Catholic convert at the same time as I did, uh, mm-hmm. was led to the Church by, by the pro-life issue. She, had, she, had, uh, she, was a, uh, she was born and raised a, a Democrat in Texas and a Methodist, but she was a... Uh, she was uh, anti-abortion and pro-life and a pro-life volunteer, and, and she found the only place she could go on Sunday uh, 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 that, it, that ever uh, f- uh, suited her purposes was uh, was St. Patrick's Catholic Church, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a few blocks from uh, the condo we moved into uh, about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. That whole t- story of your conversion in the book, I found it fascinating that your your wife went through the RCIA process, uh, a track which many people are, are brought into the Catholic Church today. But you were able to have private uh, discussions with Monsignors at Vaggy, 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 and that that you studied certain chapters of the Catechism and were able to have some very deep talks with him. I would love to have been a part of those discussions <laughs> just to listen. It was a great it was a great experience. And you know the interesting thing is the first first time I went to St. Patrick's Church, uh, Monsignor Vaghi was then Father Vaghi. I suddenly saw him there. I hadn't seen him in years. He was a old news. He was a lawyer in town. He had a late vocation. He was a uh, a news source of my late partner, Roland Evans, and I. And I suddenly he's he's in the church. You know those things are not just chance. No, mm-hmm. they uh, mm-hmm. they have a reason. And he uh, he was a he was a wonderful guide for me through the uh, uh, through through the catechism and. Uh, 
it was a it was a, it was an enormous uh, it was a mystical and and uh, intellectual experience at the same time. Mm. I mentioned earlier that you have just a, such a great deal of integrity, and of course, one of the definitions of integrity is you are what you appear to be. I think it's so hard, even for Catholics or people of any type of strong moral conviction, to find in politics today that integrity. It, it is it is difficult. Uh, you should not have too much faith in the politicians. That's one one of the themes of my life, and a lot of people don't like that theme. I've, I've given a few commencement speeches, and I mentioned it in the book, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, most recently at uh, uh, St. Thomas More College in uh, Liberal Arts College in New Hampshire, which is a, uh, a uh, mostly a Catholic uh, student, small mm-hmm. school, and then I uh, also at the University of St. Francis in my hometown of uh, Joliet, Illinois. But I also gave the same speech at the uh, at my alma mater, the University of Illinois, which is a very secular <laughs> college, mm-hmm. say the least. And the, the, the phrase I always I tell the graduates is, uh, "Always love your country, but never trust your government." Mm-hmm. And I, I, yep. I, that makes some people very angry, but it's it's the truth. And I do believe in love of country and patriotism, but uh, uh, these are just uh, um, uh, mortals. They're sinners. They're people uh, very interested in power, and they make uh, bad decisions and. Uh, we have to we have to be free thinkers. Yeah, I think that's the thing that is so difficult today. I don't know. I'm 45 years old and having watched this since I could remember back in my teen years just watching politics. I've never known a time in American politics where it has been so derisive. I mean, even inside the parties, there just seems to be such a confusion. It seems like they could splinter off into we could have four different parties now. It, it, that, is, that is the case, and there's so much... Uh, uh, so much testing of uh, of polls, uh, you know. Uh, gee, uh, uh, wh- what is the right thing to do? Is is uh, is being uh, for uh, the uh, uh, the destruction of uh, uh, of life as a part of the stem cell process? Is that is that is that what the people want? Is that what I should do, or or, or it's not what I should do? And uh, uh, it's I think it's it's uh, it's discouraging. I think I think for polling. When I first started out, there was very little polling done. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, very few people, very few politicians could afford it, or or even knew about it. Now it's a uh, it's, it's a staple of political life. And I think what happens: the American people become confused by the polls only because you have a poll and it's slanted a certain way. The media gets a hold of it, tells you this is what you should be thinking, and then it ultimately ends up it influences your thinking. <laughs> so it seems like a vicious circle. It is. It, it is it is a tough time, but I but I but I I don't think people should be downhearted. I don't think you should be downhearted about it because I I do believe that uh, uh, this country has survived a lot of bad politicians uh, and a lot of uh, uh, bad government decisions, and we're we're still the uh, the closest thing to the shining city on the hill. So uh, uh, I think with uh, with faith you can persevere. Oh, I think so, too. And when you look at uh, politics, especially over the last 50 years, you've gotten to know such unbelievable figures. I mean, you've actually met John Kennedy. You know, you knew Lyndon Baines Johnson in a way that a lot of people didn't know. And just watching the transition that has taken place in the Soviet Union and communism. Yes, it, 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 there's a, uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things in the early part of the decline of the Soviet Union was that the uh, the first president Bush and his secretary of state James Baker really thought that uh, 
Gorbachev was the answer, and yeah. Gorbachev was trying to save the Communist Party, and I took the position that uh, Boris Yeltsin, with all his faults and his failings and his his difficulty with uh, with alcohol, was the best hope. And uh, uh, I, I talk about that in the book in this uh, the interview I had with him, and uh, uh, which was, I believe, the only as length interview he ever had with a uh, uh, an Amer- American television journalist was on CNN, and. Uh, I, th- I think uh, uh, <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm really blessed to have had a uh, uh, the, the ability to, to to talk to these people at length and for such a for such a long time and uh, and I found to tell you the truth, Gregor, I was uh, uh, you know I, I found my first my first uh, politician I ever really covered was the uh, the governor of Nebraska, Victor Anderson. Probably mm-hmm. nobody remembers the name anymore, but that was in. Uh, he was elected in 1954, mm-hmm. and uh, before that, I had been a sports writer, and I was just appalled that uh, Governor Anderson was was uh, less articulate and and uh, and less coherent than most of the football coaches I had covered. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then when I got to uh, I got to Indiana, and I found they were politicians there. When I covered the legislature, or a little meaner, but than Nebraskans, but they they weren't any smarter. <laughs> Washington, and that was a real disillusionment. Where I found that they were, uh, they were very disappointing in in their outlook, and I don't think they've gotten a lot better. But we can survive all those. Uh, the the great spirit of the American people is uh, is is uh, is tremendous, and uh, uh, and wanting I think wanting to do the right thing and and surmounting the uh, the politicians they have to deal with. I just think that integrity must have something to do with your Russian heritage of your of your grandfather, your father, those immigrants who came and just fought to uh, make this country work for themselves. Yeah, my grandfather was a uh, veteran of the Russian Imperial Army and uh, ended up uh, uh, in Illinois, of all places, uh, working on the production line at the John Deere factory, and uh, he... Uh, his four sons all graduated from the University of Illinois, as as did I. His grandson, and uh, he uh, he could speak five languages. Uh, he, the last language he learned was English, and he spoke that most poorly. Mm-hmm. But he put a rule in his house that only English could be spoken, uh, mm-hmm. because he wanted uh, he wanted his, his sons to be Americans and uh, and to prosper in the new country. Mm. And your mother, I think she's a star of this book as well. Yeah, she was a very, very strong lady. She was uh, uh, at her in her time, uh, born at the, around the turn of the century. She uh, uh, very rare. She she had one year of college, junior college in Joliet, Illinois, which is very unusual for. A, she was also from an immigrant family, and she was a very strong woman. She was also a. Uh, I was an only child, so uh, I was spoiled uh, very badly, <laughs> but. Oh. Uh, and she thought I could do no wrong. But aside from that, she was a, aside for that failing. She was a pretty good. She was a great woman. You really don't cover because the, the both are so much to cover, and I know it would be difficult to get every issue in. But because of that background, I mean, do you are you a little dismayed on how the country has not been able to come together to come up with some kind of immigration policy that works? Yes, I am, and uh, uh, of course, the, the 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 real failure of that. Uh, 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 Policy came after the book was locked up, and I don't, I, I don't, I can't. You're right, I can't carry cover every issue, but uh, uh, it's a, it's a very sad issue. And uh, uh, one of the, one of the ironies of the United States is that we are a nation of immigrants, and we uh, react with fear and loathing to each new wave of uh, 
of immigration. Mm-hmm. But uh, we need immigrants. They enrich they enrich the country, and uh, there has to be a solution found. But the the politicians always act very badly on immigration. They uh, uh, it's very easy to demagogue the issue and to uh, uh, to uh, to play into the hands of uh, of, uh, of bias and uh, and mass opinion. And uh, I don't. Uh, and I, I'm very critical of many issues of uh, President Bush, but I think he's tried hard. He's tried his hardest on that. And the fact that uh, he's been made so unpopular by the war, I think, uh, uh, diminished his influence in, in trying to reach a, uh, uh, a settlement on the immigration issue. I just wanted to say, Robert Novak, I mean, you have become worthy of the patronage of St. Thomas More. Well, thank you so much. And I, I love this interview. And uh God bless you, and good luck to you. And all the best to you. And I'm, I wish you would consider publishing the 1,400 pages, because this wasn't enough. I kept wanting more. That's very, very nice of you. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Novak, everybody. Spirit Mornings here at Spirit Catholic Radio. What an incredible guy. A courageous guy. You may or may not agree with his stance on different issues, but the fact that he persevered in being able to say what he knows to be true. That's the definition of integrity. You are what you appear to be. You bet. You say what you mean.